So what were you doing 10 years ago? Were you in elementary school 10 years ago? Uh, junior high, high school, college, starting a career 10 years ago, getting married, starting a family 10 years ago? Uh, did you retire 10 years ago? Uh, amazing how the time flies. A lot can change in 10 years. Uh, what's changed for you? What's changed for you? For good, for ill. Uh, who are you now? What are your roles? What is your mission? Uh, that's our theme today, uh, our, our, our series uh, following uh, Easter, the resurrection, is Christ is risen, now what? Christ is risen, now what? And today we're talking about remembering who you are. It's super important that we take time to remember who we are. Uh, this was something that Israel did routinely. Whenever any big decision was to be made, uh, they would stop and say, let's review who we are. And they would start with Abraham, Isaac, uh, Jacob, etc. And they would then recount their history. They'd remember who they, they are. Uh, good for us to do that, uh, especially now having gone through this year of COVID and coming uh, into this new transition time to say, well, gee, do I remember who I am? My pre-COVID, my, my COVID, and now my post-COVID experience. Who am I? What are my roles? Uh, what's my mission? And uh, I love the way the musician Ginny Owens, uh, longtime based out of Nashville, winner of many musical awards, uh, now at age 42, I think, uh, going to seminary in New York City, uh, an accomplished singer-songwriter, uh, and blind since she was three. Uh, this woman has faced some challenges in life and created some beautiful music in, in the midst of that. But she says this, you don't always get to choose your circumstances, but you do get to choose the story your life tells. Let me say that again. You don't always get to choose your circumstances, but you do get to choose the story your life tells. That's a powerful insight. I don't know if she's quoting somebody or if that's, that's original to her, but it's certainly the way she lives her life. Not getting to choose the circumstances at one point, uh, here in her professional career, she lost her voice, apparently. Couldn't sing the high notes. And had to spend a year uh, relearning how to sing. And, and has now you know, gotten her voice back and can sing, but from a, a new approach. Uh, wild, isn't it? You can't choose your circumstances, but you can choose the story your life will tell. So what story are you choosing to tell with your life? You might say, well, I don't really get to choose. My life just happens to me. Well, no, it doesn't really work that way. Life happens for sure. Circumstances are often beyond our control. But we always have a choice. Uh, we have agency. That is, we can choose to act or not to act. And we have authority, uh, standing. Uh, and, and if we forego either of those, we lose part of our identity and certainly our responsibility uh, to... Uh, be able to tell the story of our life. And not that we're trying to tell a story to impress people, but by telling uh, our story, we're simply saying, do I understand who I am and what my life is all about? That's what we're going to talk about today. Uh, if you have a Bible, open it up to Colossians chapter 3, verses 11 to 15. We've been working our way through Colossians 3 the last several weeks. Uh, 
Today, here we are, uh, verses 11 to 15. I ended with 11 last week. I'm starting with it again this week. Uh, it, Paul writes to the Colossians, uh, these people who lived in uh, a valley, a beautiful valley in what is now modern-day Turkey, but this is 2,000 years ago. He says in his letter to them, here there is no Gentile or Jew. Here meaning in the body of Christ, in this movement of God's Spirit, that you're now a part. Here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free. But Christ is all and is in all. We're going to unpack this, uh, but I want to read the whole passage to you. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, Clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. And be thankful. So uh, let's dive in and see where this takes us. And, I, and again, I'm asking you the question, what story are you choosing to tell with your life? What story are you choosing to tell with your life? Paul reminds the Colossians of their standing with God in his new covenant. Uh, the authority by which they can live into this new life. Made possible by Jesus' sacrifice on our behalf on the cross, his death for our sins, his resurrection from the dead, his ascension into heaven, and his, his reign at the right hand of God. And so he says, here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, or free. But Christ is all and is in all. Now, a Gentile uh, is a non-Jew. Uh, a barbarian was, is what the Greeks would call anybody who wasn't Greek. And I'm assuming that the barbarians were the people who came up with calling somebody a Scythian if they didn't like them. The Scythians were the, the tribes of people who lived way beyond the pale. They lived beyond uh, the Roman Empire, uh, the, any, any kind of Greek empire, and so these were the wild people. Uh, and I imagine there's all kinds of other uh, ethnicities and races we could name in that. But Paul's making the point that, you know what? Uh, race and ethnicity is part of our story, but it's not the whole story. Only in Christ is our story complete. Now race and ethnicity, gender, uh, all those life, life uh, factors and features, where we've lived, uh, what kind of family we came from, all of those are significant, but ultimately not as significant as the fact that we're in Christ. Because that makes us uh, aware of a larger perspective. We're beloved children of God. And uniquely, we've experienced life through race, ethnicity, uh, and all those other factors and features. But it's not enough to make our, Lord, our story and our life complete. And so Christ writes our story into his kingdom, a larger narrative than race or ethnicity. So we don't discount anybody's race or ethnicity, certainly not our own. We say, you know, this is who I am, this is, these are my people, uh, this is where cultures have converged in me. Uh, Lots of people are more than one culture, and, 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 and so all that shapes us, influences us, but ultimately our largest frame of reference for even understanding our race and ethnicity, race and ethnicity is that we are in Christ. And this is the powerful message that Paul wants us to start with. This is our standing. Uh, 
We have agency to choose how we're going to tell the story of our life. And our standing is not just our cultural standing, our racial standing, our ethnic standing, socioeconomic standing, gender standing, age of stage standing. Uh, it's Christ. Because of who Christ is and what Christ has done, everything is different and better for us. And so we have a fuller sense of who we are. And so he says, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved. Beautiful phrase. Uh, God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved. Uh, he's saying God chose you to be in relationship with him and with his people. He's given you a holy nature that sets you apart for a new life and purpose. Now you might say, well, I'm not really holy. I wouldn't call myself holy. Well, in Christ you are holy. That is, you're not perfect and complete yet. You're in process. And yes, uh, we talked last week about our capacity for sin. The fallibility that allows us to fail uh, in all kinds of ways. But in Christ, we've been set apart. We have a new identity. We're clothed in his righteousness. So we are holy. That's our new identity. I'm, I have the capacity uh, to sin, but I am now clothed in the holiness, the righteousness of God. That's my larger identity. Profound when you think about it. He loves us and cherishes, cherishes us. He delights in blessing us. He is equipping us with all kinds of things that we need to navigate life. So, he says, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. And we could add uh, the, the pronoun uh, to that. Uh, clothe yourselves with his, the Lord's compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Why? Because he's the source of those qualities. We're all wired for those qualities. So a person can say, oh, I, don't, I don't believe in any God. I don't believe in Jesus. I'm an atheist. I'm an agnostic. And I have all those qualities. Well, sure you do. You have the capacity for those qualities, and to some degree you, you have the, the ability to express those qualities. The problem is you probably don't have the capacity to do them at the level that God gives us uh, by way of being compassionate, kind, humble, gentle, and, and patient. That's why we get compassion fatigue. I, I just don't have what it takes. I, I don't have it in me. I wear out, poop out, tire out, get distracted, don't really care. But in Christ, all of a sudden, I have this capacity to clothe myself in the very qualities of Jesus. Not superficially, but these become part of my integral, inherent identity and nature. The new nature supplanting that old sinful nature. In process, hidden with Christ, we found out earlier in Colossians chapter 3, but to be revealed when Christ is revealed in glory. And so these become absolutely instrumental, essential features of our new identity, our agency and our standing as beloved sons and daughters of Christ. And so these qualities bring out the best in us and they never go out of style. You always look good in compassion, in humility, in kindness, right? Gentleness and patience. Uh, people who know God have these qualities and they're all gifts from him built into us by virtue of being created in his image, but, but uh, energized and fully developed as we uh, participate in a personal relationship with him over time. So what is present in us then becomes actually operational in us because of his presence through his Holy Spirit. And so we put them on, and we find that they're a perfect fit. Without them, life is miserable and unbearable. With them, life is way better, much more meaningful for us personally, but also for everybody we impact in life. 
Wouldn't you like to think that the people you work with had all these qualities in full? Wouldn't you like to think that you are this person so that anybody you're encountering is going to get to experience these qualities in you and through you? What used to be your best effort is now kind of a natural expression of who you are. That's what Paul wants us to know uh, that, that we have, and that's who we are now in Christ. So he says, bear with each other. This is a very significant phrase. Uh, bear with each other. Uh, the word here is to be tolerant, to be enduring in caring for one another. Uh, this is about hanging in there with, with one another as imperfect people, kind of in spite of love. In spite of the fact that you're not perfect, I'm going to hang in there with you. I'm going to accept you and love you in spite of your perfection, because of who you are, but in spite of the things that might annoy me about who you are as well. And so, as I said, we will be perfect, fully complete in Christ, but we're not yet. And until then, we're in development, and we need one another. We need to bear with one another because it's in this community of relationship that we find our fullest development. Can you develop in isolation? You can, but it's not as effective or efficient. It's not as a full expression as when we're in uh, the crucible of community. Henry Nouwen famously uh, said that in Christ we are wounded healers. All of us, wounded healers ministering his grace. In community, uh, God uses us as wounded healers in each other's lives. Certainly, he uses his Holy Spirit to, to uh, heal us, to build us, to develop us. But he uses people in that process as well. To bear with one another. Uh, Henry Nouwen uh, was a... Was a uh, well-known scholar, a Catholic priest, professor, I think taught at Notre Dame, um, Notre Dame, and Yale. Uh, he was a prolific writer, best-selling writer, a popular speaker, uh, all-around famous guy. And you know, at some point he felt like God was calling him to leave all that and to move into a community for adults uh, with serious deficits, uh, intellectually, etc., uh, and so he moved into this community uh, called Dayspring, and he found that none of them knew who he was or cared. He was just Henry, and they were glad to call out his mistakes, to remind him that they were bearing with him, they were being patient with him. It was quite humbling and even humiliating at first to realize, I can't even explain to these people how, how awesome I am. They wouldn't know. They don't have the categories. And so all I can be is me. That's a kind of uncomfortable and them being them, they feel like they can tell me what I need to know. And so instead of him thinking, I'm going into this community to bear with these poor people, he's finding that these people feel that, gee, we're willing to bear with you because you're part of our community. It was transformational for him. Powerful. When people bear with us, when they know us and still love us, wow. You see, everybody's normal until you get to know them, as somebody has famously stated. Everybody's normal until you get to know them. And once we let our guard down and we allow ourselves to be known, isn't it an incredible gift for people to bear with us? And it's an incredible gift for us to bear with others. It isn't just putting up with or covering up for one another. We bear one another's burdens, not in denial. Oh, you don't really have any needs. No, I see your needs. They're glaringly obvious to me. I see your deficits. I see your fallibilities. I see your failures. But I also see you the beloved child of God that you are, and all the qualities that come with that. 
And so we're all in a process of restoration in community with Christ together. So don't be overbearing and don't be unnecessarily burdensome. Uh, recognize and respect boundaries. Learn the rules of healthy relationships. Why? Because bearing with one another is an expression of love. It's practical, functional love. It's enduring, tolerant love. It's love that covers the gaps, the deficits. Not by overlooking them, uh, them and pretending they're not there, but seeing them and looking past them to who uh, you really are. It's hanging in there rather than hanging it up. It requires wisdom and discernment. Paul said it this way as he wrote uh, to the Corinthians in his first letter, chapter 13, the famous love passage. Uh, He says, you know, love is patient, kind, doesn't envy, doesn't boast, isn't proud. It does not dishonor others. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. It doesn't delight in evil. It rejoices in the truth. It protects, it trusts, it hopes, it perseveres. That's what bearing with one another looks like in action. It's love in action. And bearing with uh, creates a stable, safe environment for people to grow in grace. You don't have to pretend to be perfect here. You can simply be you. On this journey with Christ, in this process of transformation with him, because he's risen from the dead, and everything is different and new. And we, bearing with one another, uh, by God's grace, create a stable environment for people to flourish and thrive and grow. Stop hiding and stop trying to manage their image, but simply being them in Christ. And bearing with one another requires time. Sometimes it requires timeouts. There's discipline involved, right? Love is unconditional. Bearing with one another says, yes, love is unconditional, but there's some rules for the road. Bearing with one another doesn't avoid administering corrective discipline. Yes, no. We do this with children. We do it with one another. I love the way Paul wrote to the the Ephesians. He says in chapter 5, verse 21 in in his letter to the Ephesians, um, submit to one another out of your common reverence for Christ. Submit to what? Well, to to bearing with one another and and having people bear with us. Not as a a pity, sympathy project. I feel so bad for you, I'm going to bear with you. Rather, hey, isn't it great that we could accept each other in the name of Jesus and learn to love one another as he loves us? Calling the best out in one another. Healing the worst in one another. And then Paul says, uh, forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Uh, Forgive, wow, okay, why? Well, because getting close to anybody is going to require you giving forgiveness or receiving it. You cannot be close to anybody at any depth and not experience the need to be forgiven. When we inadvertently say or do something that hurts somebody, offends somebody, bums them out, or when that happens in turn to us. Living in a community is hard. We want perfection, but we only survive through forgiveness. I want it to be perfect, and I'll do my best to make it so, but i got to be ready to be forgiven and to seek it and to give it. Right? Every newlywed, every new parent, every new professional, every new church discovers this. We thought we got some perfect people together in this family. We thought we got some perfect people together in this church, in this company, on this team, uh, whatever the scenario might be. And all we find out is we have a bunch of normal people who aren't perfect. And so we need to practice forgiveness as we bear with one another. 
Why? Well, I forgive you so I can move on from your sin against me. I don't have to bear a grudge. Uh, when, I, when I bear a grudge and become bitter through lack of forgiveness, I'm, as if somebody has said, it's like drinking poison hoping somebody else will, will die. You're just poisoning yourself with that. So forgiveness is releasing the right to judge one another. We see it for what it is. You did something wrong. It hurt me. We know that. And I forgive you. Also, my forgiveness of you allows you to, to deal with the implications of the sin in your own life. I'm not holding it over your head. Why hold it over your own? Why not repent and confess and turn to the Lord? See the power in that? The freedom that we get in forgiving and being forgiven? What you do with forgiveness determines how your sin affects you. Great marriages, great families, great friendships, great communities thrive on forgiveness. And forgiveness is not denying, oh, that wasn't sin, that didn't bother me, that was fine. No, it recognizes, yeah, that was small, but it didn't hurt. Or that was a big thing. That's a deal breaker. Every important relationship, every significant community thrives on forgiveness. And then Paul says, over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. This is not idealized love he's talking about. It's real love, the, the real love that bears with and forgives. Over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together. All the virtues come together in perfect unity when they're, when they're bound together by love and in love. Love is what sustains us. Love is the unifying virtue. Without it, we're incomplete. Without it, something vital is missing. Again, not idealized, but, but in real terms. When we choose to love, we most resemble our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. Love one another as I have loved you. Love is the way we deliver all the other virtues, not just acknowledge them. It's through our capacity or willingness to learn to love that all these other virtues find their highest application. Compassion driven by love, powerful. Humility driven by love. Kindness, gentleness, patience driven by love. Filled by love, supported by love. Powerful, transformational for the person exercising it and for the person or people receiving it. Being loved and being loving produces peace. It inspires gratitude. The anxiety, the stress level goes down when you're in the presence of people who are loving. The gratitude uh, goes up when you're in the presence of people who are learning how to love functionally, really, not ideally. So let the, the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, Paul says. Since as members of one body, you were called to peace. This, this shalom of God is the normal aspect of walking with God. So we're called to peace, not as to try to be peaceful, but we're called into a relationship that is inherently built on the shalom, the well-being of God, extended to us, that we get to experience in very practical ways. So peace is a well-being that comes from trusting God, knowing that He's with us and He's for us, leaning on that, depending on that, exercising that, extending that to other people. The shalom of God is a community-creating power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit creates community. Think about that. The Holy Spirit makes community possible. Why? Because the power of God insinuates itself, integrates itself into every aspect of, of our human relationships. This is profound, isn't it? 
that the shalom of God, the goodness, the peace of God, the well-being of God becomes ours in relationship with him and then through him with relation, in relationship with one another. So all of our relationships are more than one-to-one. They're one through one. Our best relationships are facilitated through the Holy Spirit. Now, we don't have to say or do anything to make that happen. We just need to be in Christ, and therefore His Holy Spirit is operative in us, in a marriage, in a family, in in friendships. You don't even have to announce it or say anything. Hey, uh, the Holy Spirit's here. You might, but the fact is, if the Holy Spirit is in us by virtue of our faith in Christ, we can be assured then the Holy Spirit is leading us into a, a deep desire for and the capacity to, to contribute to uh, deep, powerful relationships that are filled with the shalom of God. And out of that comes gratitude. Paul says, be thankful. Now, I want to uh, reflect with you for a minute on, on what it means to be thankful. Uh, we have, in some ways, trivialized uh, gratitude. As in, it's just an expression, well, thanks, 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 thanks. And, and it can very easily become, thanks, I didn't really need it, but that's nice. Thanks, I could have gotten it myself, but that's okay. I could have bought a better one. I could have done it faster. And so we, 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 we give thanks in some ways uh, without really thinking about what we're doing. And here's what I mean. Saying thank you isn't just being well-mannered or polite. That's good right there. That's fantastic. But it's more than that. It's a confession. Gratitude is a confession. Without you, my life would be incomplete. Without that small gesture of love, something uh, would be lacking. You see, it's these small gestures of love that build me as a person in relationship to you, in relationship to other people in the community. It's the gestures of love that is transformational. Now, over uh, my life, I've seen people become disappointed when they, they gave the big ta-da gift to somebody and that person was not moved by it. And as it turns out, what happens is if you haven't been practicing the gestures of love, true gratitude, recognizing uh, your need for people and the way that they care for you in a thousand and one different ways, when you take people for granted, when you abuse or misuse uh, are indifferent toward people. And then you present them with a big gift. Well, I gave her this big ring, and she, was, she wasn't impressed. I gave her this. I gave him that, and it was nothing. Well, what was going on there is that that big gift really mocked the lack of deep, deep love. Deep shalom, deep peace. These people aren't feeling that somebody's been bearing with them or forgiving them. So what meant to be this capstone expression of something wonderful ends up mocking what really isn't there. Well, well then how do you change that? Well, you start practicing the gestures of love. So the gestures of love, the small acts of consideration, thoughtfulness. Considering other people and what they might need, what they might want. And it's not trying to please people. Trying to please people is a dead end. But, but being conscious of and aware and intentional and deliberate in the way that we express love to one another with small gestures is powerful, which causes us to then make this confession of gratitude. I can't imagine life without you. Thank you. Thank you for, thank you for who you are, for what you do. If you want to change your life, learn to practice that kind of gratitude as a confessional exercise. 
If you want to change somebody else's life, practice gratitude as a confessional exercise. Now, it'll still sound like thank you to them, but you'll know you're really expressing something that you've noticed and you, you're learning to cherish. Because it's all those small, small, small things that are transformational. And when we do have the big capstone moment, the big trip, the big event, we're actually celebrating substance. We're not mocking something that is insubstantial. Well, uh, I want to end with this. Uh, today is Mother's Day. You might not be watching this on Mother's Day, but today is Mother's Day. And on Mother's Day, we celebrate real love, not idealized love. Now, uh, granted, there's a zillion and one cards being distributed that maybe are, tend toward the idealized love. Uh, nobody is perfect, therefore there's no perfect moms, there's no perfect dads, there's no perfect kids. But <clears throat> real, real love is what we celebrate here. Because on Mother's Day, we're actually recognizing somebody's real concrete love for us has made a big difference. Thank God for real love. Moms are women who by childbirth or adoption or simply welcoming a child into their life love the children in their care. Powerful gift of selfless, unconditional love that mothers uh, express and extend to their children. And in the, in the best version of that, you have a mom who is aware of her own needs and, and, and attending to those needs, not living vicariously to her children, not doing a quid pro quo, now you owe me. But you, you see this beautiful expression in mothers when they're simply loving and loving and loving. And, and kids can be impervious to it or indifferent to it or, or appreciative. But the powerful nature of that love is willing to change diapers and clean up messes and put up with chaos and make room in life, and, and to put others' needs ahead of their own. And this is the powerful, sacrificial love that we see in moms. Now next month we'll, we'll reflect on that for dads, but, but right now I want you to appreciate in a whole fresh way the woman who's been a mother to you. Maybe your grandmother or an aunt or a family friend mothered you in some ways that your own mom couldn't. But probably your primary mom has been the one who's delivered the goods in terms of loving you, believing in you. That's real love, not idealized love. Now, you can idealize it on Mother's Day all you want. But the fact is we're recognizing something so uh, core uh, to our development that moms care about kids. And kids who know that their moms care about them uh, are the most adjusted, resourceful, resilient kids in the world. So thank you, moms, for being that kind of mom to your kids. And let's thank them and encourage them and emulate them in their high and holy work. Because it's not only the natural result of having children, adopting children, caring for children. It's a, it's an, it's a high and holy calling from God to mother children. So let's emulate that. That we could learn how to love people in the ways that moms love kids. And I hope if your mom uh, is alive, you can express that appreciation uh, to her. If not, just thank God right now for the mom that uh, he blessed you with. So Lord Jesus, we do. We thank you for moms. We thank you for the, the women who have reorganized and realigned their life to care for children, to care for us. Uh, I pray for the moms who are caring for children right now, that you give them sheer dogged endurance as they continue to do that, as they teach their children how to love, as they prepare their children for a life of loving others. Lord, we celebrate with them. We, we appreciate them. We thank you for them. Show us how we can encourage them uh, every day and that we might emulate them in this high and holy calling of learning how to love others like you have loved us. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.
So now may the Lord bless you and keep you. That is, may you feel the Lord's love in very practical ways. More than you can ask or imagine. Today, every day, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.